Are you hoping to create a more healthy emotional life this year? Are you wanting to develop some of those habits that can really help your family grow in peace and calm and stay connected? Join us in the peaceful loop this year. We're going to be going through my book, Habits for a Sacred Home. Each month, we'll have new habits to work on, a new teaching about those habits, and new opportunities to grow in community as a mother so that your children can have the experience of peace and calm in their home as they grow. We'll link the community in the show notes. We hope you'll join us. This is Jennifer Pepito with the Restoration Home Podcast. This is the show where we talk about the peaceful path to connected families and restored communities. Today on the show, I'm excited to be chatting with Jason Van Ruler. He's the author of the book, Get Past Your Past, and he's a licensed therapist. And I'm really excited to be chatting with you today, Jason, about helping moms get breakthrough as they're parenting. Thanks for joining me. Hey, thanks so much for having me on. I've been looking forward to this. Yeah, I'm so excited. I I wrote a book called Mothering by the Book, and in it, I kind of talked about my journey of overcoming fear. And there were a lot of components to that. I saw a therapist for a little while, and we worked through some stuff with EMDR. I did some other inner healing modalities. And so, you know, there were there were so many aspects of my own healing journey that required me processing my childhood story, grieving part of it, and then learning to have some better practices in the future. And, you know, many of my listeners are moms who are kind of realizing that some of the fear and the control that they have isn't normal and it's not healthy. And some of it might be from, you know, from childhood wounds, basically. So how would you recommend someone getting started on, you know, processing childhood pain or getting better emotional health? Yeah, I think the first step is really just kind of acknowledging where it is that you're getting stuck. You know, we all have those experiences um, or those wounds uh, that we carry with us. And so the first thing really is just to be honest about what that is and and what's really happening, because I think a lot of times we distract ourselves from that truth um, or we do our best to avoid it um, when what we really need to do is look at it. So the first step is to kind of be honest with ourselves about what that is. And then where do I go to ask a question about how to deal with that? And so who do I know? Uh, Who's in my circle? Uh, Do I do a Google search? What do I do to see about how I start to get some help for the thing I'm struggling with? Yeah, that's so good. And, you know, there's a lot of different options out there. I think that's part of what becomes so overwhelming. So I'd love to hear, you know, what do you, I don't know exactly what format of counseling you use. But there are things like talk therapy and biblical counseling, and there's trauma-informed therapy. What is the difference? Yeah, there there is kind of every therapy under the sun. And so it gets kind of challenging to say, well, I need this exact one. Um, they all offer something a little bit different. So talk therapy, uh, I guess in the way that we think about it, is several different modalities, but it's essentially talking through whatever that issue is. Um, and then using different interventions to point you in a different direction or to change your relationship with what happened. Biblical counseling tends to be in a similar vein, but based more foundationally on biblical truths and teachings. Now, I would argue probably everything is actually biblically based if we look at it, but biblical counseling tends to focus more 
intentionally on integrating that into therapy. Um, and then we have trauma-informed therapy, which really either one of talk therapy or biblical counseling can be trauma-informed. It's just simply having the insight and awareness of how trauma affects problems in our life uh, and how we need to approach trauma and healing if we actually want to do good work. So if you're hearing that, I might think if I were you and I wasn't a therapist, like, wow, okay, so the first challenge is going to be, what do I even need? And so here's what I would just tell you is one of the first best things we can do is just ask somebody we know what they've maybe done or where they would point you and then interview some therapists or biblical counselors and kind of get a sense of, have they worked with someone on this before? Had they walked through it? Do they have the training? And if not, who should I speak to instead? Right. That's really good because, uh, you know, when my, I had a daughter, my oldest daughter had dealt with an eating disorder when she was 16 years old. And we did go to what was a biblical, you know, it was supposed to be a biblical counselor or newthetic counselor. And he asked some questions. I was so ticked. <laughs> he was like, well, what are you eating? And um, you don't, and he, he, he started to even mention that she didn't seem underweight. And I was like, you, you are a terrible human to go there with a child who is struggling with an eating disorder. Like this is not the problem. And, and that actually, that, that really pushed our family into a really broader way of looking at life and counseling and healing um, that experience with someone who, who just, he should have just referred us to somebody else. Like he didn't have any experience with eating disorders and he was causing more harm than, than good in the way he approached it. You know, I love that idea of just sort of asking around, asking your friends, because when you see somebody who has gotten some breakthrough, those are probably the ones who can help guide you. And, you know, I think one thing people have a sort of a criticism, maybe, is they think that people who get into trauma informed or inner healing, where you're sort of processing the past and, you know, modalities like IFS or EMDR, where part of it is processing your childhood wounds they they feel like oh that's just too much navel gazing and it's too introspective and you just got to muscle through and do the right thing what would you say to people who have that kind of a concern well i love that and i love people who ask questions like that um those are some of my favorite people because those are reasonable and relevant questions I, I think we just have to look at where are we trying to go and what is the purpose of what we're doing. Um, I am fully in the camp of there is such a thing as too much um, analysis of the past. There is such a thing as just rehashing things and, and it yielding no real great quality from that. And so I think going into that situation with a therapist, it's really important to say what you're trying to do and to ask about how long they expect that'll take and what their process is. And I will tell you, if a therapist is offended or unwilling to tell you about their plan, they are not right for you. So ideally, someone would say, yes, I've walked many clients through this. This is typically how that goes. It's typically how long it takes. And this should be the outcome that you would have. If a person is unwilling or they are just simply incapable of doing that for you, that would be a place of great concern because then typically what happens is we're just simply going every week to talk about something and it actually doesn't help us to continually rehash our worst moments. Yeah, that's so good. It's, you know, it is, I think there is that balance of, for one thing, learning to institute better life practices, you know, like if you are struggling to overcome some maybe sin issue or a, 
or some kind of, I think for more of my listeners, it's probably uh, fear and control and just the, the stress and high cortisol that results from that. And, and in my, you know, my experience, a lot of that does come from feeling unsafe in childhood. But if we don't also just learn to have some basic, healthy daily practices that nurture a healthier mental life, then we, we probably won't have sustained breakthrough, even if you do kind of get down to the bottom of things and heal your past. Absolutely. Yeah. I, I want, when I'm working with a client, I, I want them, you know, and it's a terrible business model, but I want them to fire me. I mean, that's really the, the goal is to get them to a place where they can do it on their own and, and not to a place of being dependent on me. And so I think anytime that we're looking for help, we're trying to work through something difficult. The goal is to work through it and keep going. Uh, not to stay put there. And so we have these practices that help us to do that. And then ideally we have people in our life that also help us to do that. Yeah. So good. And, you know, I think Bessel van der Kolk, I'm not sure if that, if I pronounce his name right, but he yeah. wrote the body keeps the score. I've heard him say, or people say that he said that uh, some of the most effective forms of counseling are kind of IFS, like internal family systems, where you do kind of process childhood pain, and also maybe more like mindfulness practices, you know, even yoga, or I think there was one other thing that he talked about, maybe EMDR. So do you feel like there are, you know, some, I mean, what would you say to Christians who are like, I don't know, I don't want to just dwell on the past. I don't want to look at my childhood. It's too painful. Or, or even those who sort of diminish like, oh, that wasn't really, you know, somebody, somebody touched me inappropriately, but that wasn't really sexual assault. Like, what would you say to those people who kind of are diminishing the pain of their past and are, are feeling like it's unchristian or something to look at it? Yeah, I guess my question would be, does it still affect you today? And if the answer is yes, then maybe we don't need to do the should or shouldn't thing. We just need to deal with it. Because I, I relate a lot to that. I think for the longest time, even with my own story, um, it was either too bad for certain people or not bad enough for others. And so it kept me really stuck because the thing I was doing first was just judging if it was even a story worth telling or a story worth seeking help for, all the while still struggling with all the same problems as a result of it. And so the thing I would just tell you is pursue the help you need if it's getting you stuck the other thing is um, there are all different modalities. It's a little bit uh, confusing and frustrating at times because there are a million different ways to address this. Um, but I always try to tell people to, to move towards things where there's some evidence for that. There's some research to support that. So things like IFS, EMDR, brain spotting. Um, I do a lot of what's called psychodrama and experiential therapy. All of those things are empirically supported and evidence-based. And so I think that is the goal is, is to just say like, who else has been helped by this and how, and what does that look like? Um, and then just really most of the therapeutic process is the relationship, the therapist. And so finding that person that you really connect with and that shares some of your similar values and the direction you want to go is also very important. Wow. So good. You know, one of the things that really kind of started me on a healing journey was just acknowledging how how big small things are, you know, for myself as a child, I did sort of some timeline work, or even I know some people call it the trauma egg, but I sort of identified a few big spots in my childhood that really caused a lot of uh, lasting harm. And even maybe like 
a spot of feeling alone and neglected that almost set me up to at another moment of childhood to being sexually abused by an older um, farm worker on my family farm. And so I think for some though, it's, it's like they're going along. And I think we, as a culture almost have normalized anxiety and control and hypochondria and some of these things and don't even really know that it is probably something that could be healed with a little bit of work on your past. Yeah, absolutely. Because it's normal to us. And I think, you know, with social media and things like that, uh, some of this stuff becomes really normalized instead of asking, uh, well, what if we didn't actually have to do that? Because sometimes that's the better question, right? Is not how do I learn to live in this space? But what if I could live in a way that I didn't have to deal with this? Because I think, like you said, there there is a lot of hope and there's a lot of reason to believe that if we do some work and invest a bit, that things can change. Yeah. I'm, it is so exciting to know that there's hope for better days. You know, one of the things that I think often prompts parents getting some help is as their children grow and they start to see that they don't have as much control over their kids as they thought they did, it prompts them to get help. But also sometimes parents think, oh, I've got to get my kid help. And they don't really recognize the ways that they're contributing. When you see a child struggling with, you know, an anger issue or an eating disorder or something like that, I, I had one therapist tell me that if the parents, they would, this, this therapist almost more re- recommended that the parents go get regulated, they go get healed, and then the kids would, would kind of respond to that calmer, more peaceful atmosphere, as opposed to sending, say, an adolescent or young teen child in for counseling on their own. What do you think about like getting help for adolescents and teens? Yeah, absolutely. The parents seem to be part of it. So um, whenever I see an adolescent or teen client, um, the parents are required to come with. Um, And so what happens is that session is divided between the parents and the kiddo. And the reason for that is so we can kind of model what a healthy relationship looks like, right? We're all trying to do this together. We've got a similar goal. And then acknowledging that the parents in a lot of ways set the tone for the system, right? If the parents are rigid to change or or they're unwilling to do that, there's not going to be a lot of change that comes, even if the kiddo really wants to. And so my goal is always to get us all on the same page, pointed in the same direction. And to do that, the parents are definitely an integral part of it. Yeah. Yeah, I appreciate that because I think sometimes, you know, in families where there's a lot of chaos happening, it can feel like playing whack-a-mole or something. Do you know what I mean? Like how do you, you know, there's one child struggling in one way and another child struggling in another way. And a lot of that does um, even make us as parents more dysregulated or, or traumatized in a sense. What do you even tell those parents? Like what are some of the best things they can do even just on a daily basis to stay calm when one of their children are acting out or even a spouse? Yeah, I think to give them grace uh, and look at them through that lens, I, I think, I mean, really the way that you become the healthiest parent is to be the healthiest version of yourself. And so if you were a person that's pursuing health for yourself, um, that's definitely going to be reflected in parenting. Um, I think then the other thing is just to look at our kids and see this opportunity, and it's a beautiful opportunity, but to be a coach in their life to help them to get to a better place. And so you don't have to rescue them. It's not your job to do all the work for them. It's your job to help coach them to become the adults that they ought to be. 
Yeah. You know, one of the other things that I, I just talked with my daughter in a podcast about is even just parenting in general, because there was for, you know, in the 90s, there was this really high emphasis on authoritarian parenting and really kind of perfectionist almost parenting where there's a lot of almost too many details. But then there was a kind of switch to absolutely like maybe permissive where where parents don't be an authority anymore and kids can do whatever they want and make their own choices. And even in Christian circles, that has gotten kind of popular where it's like, oh, you know, children, it's very egalitarian. Do you think there is a more healthy emotional parenting style? Yeah, it's all about balance and it is about being that coach. That That's something I really uh, talk with a lot of parents about is just um, how do we tell the kids you wish you would have heard from your parents? So we just have this profound opportunity to, to do it a little bit differently. And we all have that thing that we say, boy, if my parents had said or done this, it would have changed everything. So why don't we start there? And what I find is that um, kids, you know, as much as we might say, well, they just want you to be cool and be their friend. Like, that's actually not what they want. They want you to, to love them and to be fun, but also to remind them and point out potential pitfalls and help them to actually learn how they're supposed to do things so that they're prepared to launch. What I see sometimes is uh, we're a little too comfortable just being our kids' friends um, and doing things that only make them happy and and only leave them feeling like they want to hang out with us. And the truth is, as a parent, that's really not our job. Um, and also, it's not our job to be the other way and to be very rigid dictators. That's also not helpful. And so I think some balance goes a long way. <laughs> that's so good. I, I actually, on the parenting episode I just did with my daughter, I brought up the Gilmore Girls, but I don't think I finished the sentence. Because it's such a popular show, but when you watch it, like the daughter is, I mean, the mother is horrible. Like she does not parent her child at all and really puts a lot of pressure on her child to be the adult in the relationship, which I think is easy for any mother to do with their oldest child. I know I for sure put too much pressure on my oldest child to be like a co-parent almost. Um, how do you, you know, how do you, how do families adjust if they recognize, oh, I've been too permissive with my kids or I've been too overbearing with my kids? How do they adjust, especially when already uh, some of these patterns are in place? Like you, you have a child that maybe you didn't give a lot of guidance to, and now they don't want to take instructions from you. Yeah, that's really tough. And I'll, I'll just say, I don't think I can speak poorly about the Gilmore Girls for my daughter and my wife's sake. So I have to be really careful about talking bad about the Gilmore Girls. Um, I, I'm kidding with you. They they love the show. <laughs> I but, but, I everybody loves the show. But. But, uh, but you're right. I mean, the thing is, and I think that is our tendency, and even with my oldest son, um, in, in many ways, he's, he's like a 60-year-old man, you know, but he's actually 13. And so I think we can have this tendency to kind of look at, you know, those older kids and just kind of see them as not really being kids. And so we have to remind ourselves, you know, of their age and also what they need and what they need is different than sometimes what we want to give them. And so just being willing to acknowledge like, oh, it'd be really easy just to be their friend. But if I'm their friend, I'm not their parent and they really need a parent. The other thing is that sometimes I'll see parents have this realization and have some insight about, okay, well, we've been doing some of the wrong things. And hey, just as a little disclaimer, we all do the wrong things, but they realize they're doing the, the wrong things and then they fly from one end of the spectrum to the other, right? And so they say, instead of being completely permissive, I'm going to be very rigid and authoritative. 
And that actually doesn't work. And so the thing that we want to do is just incrementally start to work towards that change. And so if you've been way too permissive, we just start with some boundaries and work up to some of the bigger stuff because you have to earn trust from the kiddo. You can't just change overnight, especially because you probably won't stick with it. And consistency is super important. Yeah, that's so good. So you, you, you have to earn trust from your child and you have to stick with it. And I think that's one of the things I love about Simplicity Parenting by Kim John Payne is there's just such an emphasis on rhythm and ritual and routine in creating a safe feeling home. Because I think it's that inconsistent attitudes, whether, you know, you're gentle and sweet one day and the next day you're crazy and angry or, you know, you're, you're super permissive. And then all of a sudden you want to lay down the law. I think that those kinds of things are what really make children feel very unsafe. Yeah. And absolutely lead them to being reactive because it's changing all of the time. And so they really need stability to thrive. And so if they don't have it, they're just simply reacting to what's happening. And, you know, as anybody, I think we don't always have the best knee jerk reactions. Like that's not usually our best self is reacting in a moment. And so we don't want to force our kids to constantly have to do that. Yeah. So if you, if a parent's listening and they're like, oh my gosh, I yelled at my toddler yesterday, or I, I called my teenager a rude name, or, you know, they're listening and they're realizing that they have done, they have sinned against their child. How do they repair? Yeah. I think the first thing I would say is, okay, all right, that's what happened. Um, And the realization that that was wrong tells you that you're growing. And so that's a great first step. And then the second thing is just role model a healthy relationship. So healthy relationships aren't perfect, but they know how to resolve conflict and people know how to apologize and take responsibility and be accountable. So you just go to your kiddo and you say like, hey, yesterday when I said that thing, um, that was out of line or that was off base. And if I could go back again, I wish I would have said X uh, because I think that would have been more helpful. And so I'm sorry that I didn't. That's it. It doesn't have to be this huge life altering thing. We just want to kind of normalize with our kiddos that we're going to make mistakes and they are too. And the job is just to own it, take responsibility and apologize. Really good. And, you know, it reminds me of the shame spiral that Kim John Payne talks about. And that is kind of what parents do sometimes is they realize they made a mistake. And so then they get their, they take their hands completely off the wheel. And so there's this constant up and down with the children of, a parent making a mistake, then they try, then they make a mistake, then they fail, then they take their hands off the wheel. And, you know, it's just, it's become so chaotic for children to grow. Whereas if we can just quickly repair and then begin leading again, it creates more safety and security. Absolutely. And that's where kids then learn how to do that for themselves. And in that way, we help our kiddos to grow up and not have such a tendency to be anxious because we tend to be very anxious if we see problems as life altering and and as stopping the world. And so then when we have a problem, our kiddos are like, I don't know what to do with this, as opposed to just normalizing that during parenting and saying, like, that's part of the deal. And here's what we do when that happens. Yeah. You know, some of the families that I am in community with have had difficult parental relationships. You know, maybe their parents were not able to ever say they were sorry or acknowledge the ways that they have harmed them. How do you balance forgiveness with also holding people accountable? Because in my understanding, forgiveness is such a healthy practice for ourselves so that we continue to grow and to heal. But it 
also, we can't necessarily be in the same kind of relationship with people who continually step on us. Absolutely. Yeah, there, there is, you know, there's that need to have forgiveness because otherwise we carry that burden. And also, like you said, that doesn't mean that we have to go right back to it or be as close. If, if someone has consistently hurt you over time and they don't display any insight or willingness to change, that is not going to be a safe person. It doesn't mean you can't forgive them because you actually can, but it also doesn't mean that you have to run right back to that situation. And so I think now more than ever, parents in this day and age uh, probably have parents who haven't done a lot of work. It just culturally hasn't been part of their story. And so as we kind of gravitate more towards self-improvement and and working through our trauma and becoming healthier, more well-rounded individuals, a lot of our parents at this point, so parents' parents, are really unsure about what to do with that. They, they know they did something wrong. They know that they should have done it better, but they don't know how to do that or where to look. And so having some grace for that, but also speaking truth is really important. So just because they're unwilling to admit or take responsibility doesn't change the truth as you experienced it. Yeah, that's really good. I know it's been, as my children have grown, my capacity to have grace for my parents has grown because I really want my children to be merciful to me. You know, I recognize that I actually, despite my best efforts have made mistakes and hurt my children. And I don't want them to give up on a relationship with me because of that. And that's definitely expanded my desire to be gracious with my own parents for their mistakes. Yeah. Isn't that the worst when you're parenting and and you all of a sudden feel like you can relate to something your parents did that you really despised and you just go, Oh, Man, here it is again. Um, and it, in some ways, it just brings us so much closer, but it also really gives us this degree of empathy for them uh, because we can see it. We might not have done it that way. We might still disagree with it, but we start to be able to understand how they got there. Yeah. And, you know, I, it's like some of these lessons I would love for moms to learn earlier because I know I made so many mistakes in sort of my pride and thinking I could do everything so perfectly. But I think some lessons are only learned through living. So, Absolutely. That learned experience. I mean, there is uh, one of my favorite books is called uh, You Can't Teach a Kid to Ride a Bike at a Conference. And I just love that book because the truth of the book is if you want to learn to ride a bike, the best way to do it is to ride a bike. And I, and I think so much of our life is like that, that we can read about it, we can talk about it. But a lot of the lesson and the wisdom comes from doing. Yeah. Well, this has been really good, Jason. I'm so grateful for your honest answers about all these hard questions I'm asking. And I think this is going to be such a helpful conversation for my community. Thank you for sharing. And we'll link your book, Get Past Your Past, and your Instagram in the show notes so people can continue to learn from you. 